Hi, my name is Olivia Lucardi. I am from It Follows and Go Don't Go, and you are listening to Dark Discussions. This is Alex Knapp, the writer-director of Go Don't Go and the actor in the film Bad Exorcists, and this is Dark Discussions. Hello, welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, uh, part of the Dark Discussions website and network, uh, www.darkdiscussions.com. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and, and with me in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how's it going, man? Good. Uh, yeah, so uh, folks who have just stumbled upon us, uh, www.darkdiscussions.com is the network. Uh, it's basically a, uh, also a website uh, for genre news. So if you uh, like horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and anything genre-related, it's updated daily with news, release notices, uh, columns, all sorts of things, as well as up to 30 podcasts, including this one, that you can listen to. Uh, so if you are a fan of genre news or genre in general, uh, darkdiscussions.com should be one of the websites you check out daily. Daily. That's right, daily. <laughs> so uh, last week uh, we did an episode on a film called Go, Don't Go, and uh, myself, you, and uh, Kevin uh, uh, reviewed it, and uh, we liked it a lot, and so we were lucky enough to uh, um, get contact to to the people involved in the film. Who, who are these two people that are involved in the film? Do you know who they are? Yes. So we have Alex Knapp, who directed, starred in, and uh, wrote the script for the film. And then we have Olivia Lucardi, who was in um, It Follows, uh, one of the best horror films in the last decade, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, and she was in The Deuce as well, and as well as some other other pieces out there. Yeah, yeah. So we were able to, lucky enough to get uh, uh, both of them. Uh, they wanted to come on and uh, be interviewed, help promote the film, and actually answer some of the questions that we discussed ourselves in, in the prior episode with Kevin. Uh, unfortunately, Kevin wasn't able to join us because uh, he originally wasn't sure if he was going to be part of the project. Uh, so um, he couldn't make the interviews. But uh, fortunately, we were able to do it. And uh, yeah, it was kind of cool uh, meeting Olivia. Um, having seen her in It Follows, like you said, one of my favorite horror films in the past 10 years, never mind, probably ever, and in The Deuce and various other places. And also uh, getting to talk to this director that um, his first feature-length film and uh, a pr pretty solid one at that, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, so, so yeah, so we're going to, uh, basically what we did is we interviewed them and then we reviewed the film prior. It was going to be way too big, uh, so we decided to just break up the two um, as two separate episodes, so part one and part two, or A and B if you prefer. And um, folks can uh, go back and listen to uh, the movie review uh, critique that me, Kevin, and Barrett did uh, in the, the prior episode. And then this episode here, uh, you can actually hear uh, Olivia and uh, Alex uh, discuss the film. Uh, so uh, let's uh, get into the first uh, interview. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk to Olivia first uh, because she's the one that kind of got this film off the ground once she got involved. Uh, so, uh, all right, so here we go. Hello, 
Okay, so we are here uh, tonight, or, or actually whenever people are listening to this podcast, because it is a podcast, <laughs> uh, with a uh, special guest uh, for a new movie that um, has pretty much uh, appeared everywhere now in January 2021, and... Uh, uh, the film is Go, Don't Go, and uh, we'll discuss what it's about in a moment, but uh, why don't we introduce our guest? So uh, who are you, and uh, what is your part in the film? Uh, my name is Olivia Lucardi. I am an actress in the film, and I play the character Kay, um, which is the main character's girlfriend, love past love, current love, the love. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Very good. Now, um, uh, we have some, a lot of questions for you. So the listeners, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we're, we're answer, asking the questions that they want to know answered. So, uh, Barrett, <laughs> what do you got? Do you have any uh, questions? Yeah. Um, so it looks like you were a producer for the film. How did you get involved? Um, I got involved through Alex Knapp. His girlfriend, Fiona, and I grew up together. Um, or have known each other since childhood through our parents. So she reached out to me one day asking if she could give my contact information to her boyfriend. And I said, of course, and he pitched me the job and I read it and it was, it was, I, I really liked it. It was just a nice script. The people he had attached were really good. Um, from what I could tell from the pitch that he gave me. And I'm also someone that's always willing to help a friend or uh, the quote-unquote underdog in in whatever way I can. So um, I was like, sure, yeah, of course, I'm I'm down to do it. So I said yes, and I got involved and was able to help out as much as I could, which some of that is um, like filling the extras. So that's where some of the producing comes into play. But um, I helped find some extras and just helping do promotions and helping it in any way I could. Alex was really great about um, listening to any feedback I might have or ideas and stuff like that, which I didn't have many because they were doing a great job. But if I did have (laughs) any, he, he listened to them. So it was great. Now, um, yeah, Alex is a uh, writer, director, and uh, actor in the film, and mm-hmm. um, so he's he's kind of a jack of all trades. Um, now, this is based off of what we've read uh, was his debut film or feature film, and yeah. so you've been um, in, a, in a lot of a lot of uh, good material from It Follows to. Um, the deuce and, and whatnot. And so you've, you've worked with a, a lot of um, people that have uh, been in the business for some time and so forth. Mm-hmm. So how was it working with someone that was brand new? Um, if Well, they probably weren't brand new in working in film, but brand new as in this is their first feature. And how is Taking it? Taking on that some- many parts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really great to work with. Uh, he knew what he was doing. Um you know, probably helped that it was a small cast, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he, he really did a great job. And the DP that was working with him, uh, Frankie, he did, they worked really well together. And I mean, they, obviously they came out with a, an amazing product. Um, but 
he definitely knows what he's doing. It didn't seem like he was an amateur. It didn't seem like, you know, this was his first time. And But him and I were lucky to the fact that we did understand each other of the direction that we were supposed to be going with everything, with my character, our scenes. Um, so instinctually, we were both on the same page, which was is a great quality to have with any director, you know. Indeed. So he did a great. So he did really good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm very impressed with the film. Thank I liked you very it a much. lot. Yeah. Thank you. Now, Barry, um, yes. So, did, when he pitched the idea to you, um, did he give you an idea of where the story came from? Because it feels kind of like an Aronofsky type of film to me. Um, he did inform me. He it was a nightmare of his that he was having, mm. um, which is the second nightmare based <laughs> uh, psychological thriller I've done because it follows was based on the nightmare as well. Um, so, yeah, Alex told me that it was based on a nightmare and the ideas he had on how to make it come to life and you know that's one of the things that told me about it also shooting in the hudson valley was a huge sell point because i could just stay at my mom's house while filming (laughs) you know that's helpful yeah it really is (laughs) comforting Um, now, even though um, Alex's character is, is the lead, Kay, which is the character you play, is kind of a like like just just as like a huge blanket over the entire film. In other words, your character is as important, if not more important, than Alex because everything that happens to his character, a lot of it is directly related to to what happens to him during this dystopian post-apocalypse mm-hmm. uh, thing, but related with your character. Uh, how, how was it to work in a, in a role that that was very important, even if it wasn't necessarily the, the, the lead character, because it kind of was a focused character, if not the lead? I'll be honest, I, I didn't think much of it. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers it. Right, you know, it's um, because I feel like the way that you described it, that like I I would get like feel like there's too much weight on me a bit, um, in a weird way. (laughs) So, uh, maybe I weirdly psychologically don't try to like don't allow myself to get to that mindset at all of like my character is really important, I stay under the radar. Does that make any that makes sense? Except you can't with that role. (laughs) Yeah. You are everything Um, in the film, really. I know. I'm like the goal. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I mean I just wanted to do right playing it. I guess that I did that was important that I did right by for Alex and got what he wanted and what he saw in his vision and what I did with Kay. Yeah. I didn't think much of it. I just wanted to do right. Yep. Yeah. All right. You got a question? Yeah. So while, um, were you there only for your part filming for your part or were you there for the filming of the whole thing? I was there for a week filming mostly my part, but I was also around for, I mean, if like when the cabin caught on fire, I was around. Um, and then, the bar scene, since I was involved in the bar scene, it was the same day that he got his alone stuff at the bar. So I was around for little side bits, but um, 
mainly only my parts because I had to go back down to the city and I was filming, I think I was filming something else. I don't really remember because now life is a blur and I don't know what time <laughs> is and memories of all mushed together. <laughs> when was when was this filmed, by the way? Just throw, sorry, Phil, throwing in an extra question. <laughs> that's totally fine. Um, oh, well, that's not me to say. But anyway, um, it was shot May 2018. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. A lot, a lot of uh, um, smaller films uh, do the festival run and all that too, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, your your character um, is important to Adam's character uh, in growing because, uh, as we see, he's he's very quiet, shy, and whatnot. And you, your mm-hmm. character kind of brings him out uh, his shell. When you interacted with Alex uh, as Adam, did he he like let you? Do as as you wanted to um, portray a more um, outgoing personality person that you are, or, or did he have? Did you have to follow the script that he wrote? Um, he was pretty lenient to give me space to improvise, um, which I I mean I'm I prefer as an actor, um, <laughs> but he did allow me to improvise. But it, it was it stuck pretty much to the script. Um, and I brought, I did act, like bring a lot of my own personality to her, like, especially in the bar scene, like that's basically me at a bar, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you, have you watched it and what is your favorite part of it? Some, the some actors don't like to watch. Scene. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, it is, it is awkward to uh, watch. So it's not my scene. Um, that I like, but the bowling alley scene is, I just, the cinematography of that is so beautiful and just, I also just like that moment in, um, Adam's, Adam's progression in his mind for no spoilers, but I, I really like, yeah, the bowling alley scene is my favorite. Yeah. I think the music in that scene is perfect too. It's just all, it's all just perfect. It's, yeah, it's, it's a great scene. It's a memorable scene too, I think. Yeah. 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 Was no, uh, oh yeah, what what was our favorite? Um That's uh, my favorite scene, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was pretty 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 good scene. Um Yeah. Yeah, that that that's that's I actually you know what? I like the dinner scene. Meeting the parents. Oh, yeah. That that was a good scene. <laughs> Yeah, that that was yeah. a good <laughs> That was a fun one. Uh, yeah, my dad. I, that my dad is actually um, my friend's dad in real life. Oh, oh, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Small town life. We're all we're all connected. We all know each other. So. Indeed, yeah. indeed. That's too funny. Um, now, uh, you've obviously uh, worked in um, genre films such as horror films like It Follows and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how was it working in, um, I guess, a, a science fiction film or a dystopian type of uh, genre film? Um, I liked it. I haven't done, like, dystopian. That is, I think that's the word that has been on the tip of my tongue for the past week, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I think that... It's my first apocalyptic dystopian film, um, but 
something that I liked for it was Vision K. Um, because that, to me, sort of, I, that was fun to play, to just have that ethereal sort of um, feeling of acting, sort of, like, to be that the woman of your dreams, and how did I do it? Exactly like this. But, you know, um, I want to do more dystopian, apocalyptic, sci-fi stuff. I mean, I want to do it all, so hopefully this is just the beginning of Benny. Yeah. <laughs> so do you know, um, like, how did he decide what pieces of music would go into it? Where did the music come from? That I have no idea? clue, but, you know, great job. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the soundtrack for it. I mean, I liked all the music that was in it, so yeah, I was kind of curious about that. Also, the one that's used for the trailer, um, which is... I love that song so much. I know that that is his friend. So the person, I believe. Right, but but your story makes sense because a lot of uh, smaller independent films they they do that. They like yeah. I know Kevin Smith got friends of his to when he was first start making films and stuff. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, now um, the ending, without giving any spoilers, um, you, you you have a very, very dramatic scene that you have to really get into um, because it's, uh, it's the ending of the film, but, but there's mm-hmm. there's various types of endings, both um, symbolically and, and real and whatnot, and of course the, the film itself ends. ends. But um, how, how did you get into uh, the mode to, to um, I guess, so effectively and overpowering play that moment to the fact that it is that myself and Barrett saw that, which kind of um, made both of us like go, wow, that was a great film when it finally ended. And, and it was basically because of, of, of how you performed it too. Thank you. Know, you. That was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember for that part, I, I sort of took the character in that moment to not just like, you know, be an angel or whatever, but uh, I wanted to almost have this sort of motherly feel to it of like a mother, like finally, like kind of like holding you and being like, just like, just relax. Like, and so that was like the sort of thing that I was trying to portray with that of just like, uh, you, you need to, let go of me like you need to move on you're driving yourself crazy (laughs) 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 yeah he was he was getting uh, driving himself crazy that's true (laughs) um barrett what do you got okay you don't have to answer what it actually is but did you get told what causes this dystopian future uh no i was not Ah, so you're in the dark too. Okay. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Can't you really can't get it out of me? <laughs> I, <Right. laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> I think I personally think you know it just goes into just. I don't know, man. I'm such a cliche. I'm like uh, uh, Walking Dead. So that's <laughs> like I'm like zombies did it. <laughs> well, it could have been something. I, I mean, based off of uh, how some of the characters disappear, um, it kind of reminded me of uh, 
um, like Bird Box, maybe, or something of that nature. That, I what, never saw Bird Box. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah, me neither. What was that one, The Happening? Yeah, yeah, The was Happening. Was that when people just started disappearing <laughs> and no one knew where they went? Oh, yeah, yeah. That that was the the TV show that uh, um, Olivia, uh, the woman that you worked uh, that was on The Deuce as well, uh, Mead. Or I forget her first Emily name. Emily Mead. Yeah, Emily uh, Mead. She was in in a show that did that. Yeah, the uh, on HBO. Oh, oh, the leftovers. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, um, w- would you uh, do another film like this again? Because uh, obviously, um, you you took different hats and stuff, and and then. Like you said, you you helped cast a film and and you 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 know brought people together and whatnot. But you, would you do do a film like this again? I totally would. I only got extras for oh, okay. Marcy, but oh right, right. The casting was was not all me. I cannot take that credit. Um, but I would totally take a movie like this again. Um, I like slow drama styles of acting. I love doing scary and horror. Oh, that's what that vacuum out weird horror. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I definitely would. Nice. Hopefully, I will. Yep. yep Affirmations. You have to constantly put them out there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always, always think positive. Don't jinx anything, right? Exactly. Got yeah. some wood right here that I just. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know if Alex has anything else planned? I do not. I feel like I remember him talking about another script that he had in mind when we were filming, but I do not remember and time has passed and I have a bad memory. Well, and you have a lot going on, so not really though. No, it's quarantine. Wow. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's true. true. <laughs> but it seems like there's a lot of acting stuff going on now. Everything's starting back up. It seems like it is. It is. Yeah. Hopefully it will be for me too. Once yeah. Again, putting those affirmations out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it will. <laughs> exactly. Um, now um, we, we did mention a little bit, the, uh, the meet the parent scene and that was a flashback scene. And um, it was uh, uh, interesting the setup and all that. Um, why don't you, why don't you tell uh, us a little bit about that scene and how, how that went down? Um, there's really not much to say about it. I don't really know what to say about it. All right. Um, how, how was it working I'm, with, with non-professional actors like, like your friend's parents? Um, I mean, it was fine. He, he did. He got the performance out of like a dad. I feel like so for his first job, I think he did a good job. And Bettina Skye, who played my mother, she um she does a bunch of little acting things like indie films. She does featured some featured extra parts, oh. I believe, too. And so she was uh well versed in set life. If that makes nice. sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. But um, it was a fun scene. It that was, I believe, my first day on set as well. Oh, like okay. that was, the, I think that was the first thing that we shot. And then um, the camera work for it all was really well done because they did do like a going around the table, and they were long shots um, that we were shooting with, and, and it was a lot of fun. And then we did the later kitchen 
dining room scene when I, obviously everything's happened is going through what's crazy and happening. Right, right. Um, and the stress levels of that were good. Tom was great at yelling during that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, he was, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he really was. <laughs> it was great. That was a funny scene. Yeah. yeah. It added good levity at the right point. Thank you. In yeah. the movie, yeah. Yeah. All right, you got a question. Um, so you said you brought extras to the bar scene. Is that the only mm-hmm. area that you brought extras to? That was. That's kind of the only area you have any extras. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it was shot in Chatham, New York at the People's Pub, which is. The People's um, Pub. It's called the People's Pub. <laughs> that's great. Uh, they. The owners are good friends of mine from over the years and you know, we needed extras and, um, and so I just hit up a bunch of my friends cause that's where I went to high school in Chatham, New York. So, and my mother still lives up there. So I'm friends, still friends with a bunch of people. So I'm texting everyone. I was like, Hey guys, like, will you come to the pub and you can be in this movie with me? Like, come on, you know? So, um, for a long time, no one replied. And then we plied them with beer. And then they came. That always <laughs> Literally yeah, all day, no one's answering me. I'm like, come on, guys, you know, because we're just doing the one-on-one scenes. And <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys, like, we really need extras. I have a friend that lives two houses down from the bars. So I'm like, I, bitch, I know that you're here. And then I was like, we can give you beer for pay. And they're like... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I would be. So, <laughs> on my way. <laughs> like, I'll see you in three minutes. And and but a bunch of people came. We didn't have to apply too many people with beer, but it was um fun. It was right. funny. I think it really helped for the awkwardness though for me and Adam oh, and yeah. our characters because uh acting in front of all your high school friends because I was not a drama person at all either. So it's um it was awkward acting around them, honestly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that brings up another question. So how did you get into acting if you weren't a drama person? Um, well, in high school, I just like to smoke pot and not do extracurricular activities, um, except for smoking pot. <laughs> so uh, that's why for that. Um, but I, I'm also I'm, I'm not a stage person. I've always been a camera girl. I did photography like growing up, um, I did do Shakespeare once, like a Shakespeare play once that for the Shakespeare and company from Lenox, Massachusetts. And, but I didn't even have any lines. <laughs> I had to act crazy. And then the next year, cause they're like, you know, it's one of those things like everyone gets a part on the production. And I told them that I wanted to be an actress. And then they put me in like costumes in the department. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going to go smoke this joint. <laughs> And like, you know, no, I didn't do it again. And I, but I didn't know that I always wanted to be an actress. Um, and then luckily it ended up working out in my favor for film, which makes sense to me. Stage really does not make sense to me. Film does. Yeah. 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 I yeah. understand that completely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, um, 
like you said, this film was uh, uh, filmed back in 2018, so before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume that you you were able to uh, go out and about, um, maybe to festivals and stuff. Do, do you know if if this film was was shown anywhere that uh, it was shown? It was shown at the San Francisco Film Festival, Independent Film Festival, last year on February 2nd, um, so almost a full year ago. We got to have that in-person festival, and then uh, in yeah. March, everything started going down. Yeah. So we, I'm glad that we were able to have our world premiere in San Francisco. It was my first time in San Francisco, and... I had a blast. It was really nice. It's always nice to see like the final product on a big screen. Like, yeah, it's great to see it on your home screen, but like nothing like the silver screen. Yeah. I totally agree with that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, esp- and especially with um, uh, folks to s- see it in person with you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that must have been kind of cool to, to actually have all these people there to see the film and then they were able to ask you questions and, and yeah. answer after, right? Um, I was not part of the Q&A, which is better really? for the world. Because once again, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm so bad at like being on stage, like being oh, in front yeah. of people. Like you can, I can block out a camera and crew, but like everything else, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, um, I don't know how to answer this. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> this is different. I, you know, it's through a camera. I got my zone. Got my yeah, pink yeah. light. There you go. Yeah. So the viewers know there's a pink light behind me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Brad, you got a question? Uh, you go next. I got to think. Yeah, sure. Not a, not <laughs> well, a problem. I have some other questions, but they're not related to the movie, and we want to stay on track. So, yeah. Know, yeah. I could ask yeah. her a million things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. About. About it follows, uh, for sure. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of yeah. my favorite horror movies of all time. Yeah, that, that was a great ah. one. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, for, for this film, I, I noticed, for example, that there's the baseball scene in the film and um, the grass is, is kind of uh, not cut, which is good because one of the running jokes of, of apocalypse films is it's such a uh, manicured world. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I was, I was wondering, um, were you, were you involved with any of that to make sure that uh, Alex was, was on track to make sure to make it as authentic as possible? I, for, I didn't have to be. He was, he was already on, on that road himself. Oh, wow. Luckily, like I said, we filmed in Columbia County and, um, upstate New York in the Hudson Valley. So luckily, I mean, he lives there. I lived there. Like people are from up there. So we were lucky to know that area to be like, you know, I know a great field that it would be perfect for this, <laughs> you know, cause I know that I clock fields and abandoned houses all the time. I'm like, you know, one day, I don't know what, but I'll be there doing something one day. <laughs> so he was, he was already on it himself. He did a great job with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the first things I noticed. Was like, yeah, it was, if it, it worked, it wasn't yeah. manicured. I was, I was very happy about that. Um, now, um, the the scenes that you were in were about a quarter of the film, probably. Um, and as I, as I mentioned before, they they were kind of um, very important to the to whole aspect of the film. Um, had you prior to doing this film, had you known? Alex in person in other words uh, were you able to um, were you like buddies or something so you you would 
kind of have that really cool relationship you had on screen or was that all just really acting where you guys really just had first met through your friend? We, um, first met through the project. I mean, wow. he spoke to me and he first sent me an email and then we spoke on the phone. Um, and we had maybe met, God, I don't even know. I think we did meet like once or twice in passing. Like maybe I saw him at like the Columbia County fair one year, but then again, I'm, there's a lot of beer at those fairs and I, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, I don't know, but mainly my, my first true full interactions with him were filming and like working on set. So it was natural awkwardness influencing uh, acting. Mm-hmm. So not that we were like- awkward, not that he's awkward, but you know, it's like first meetings <laughs> of like and using it in our advantage. Yeah. Yeah, it was very advantageous because you guys were able to first meet and then you're supposed to be first meeting mm-hmm. <laughs> in the film. Mm-hmm. So, so I have a question. Um, so who's the person that plays his best friend? What What can you tell us about him? Nori Davis. He is an awesome funny comedian i'm not just saying like he's funny but like he's funny like i i like his um his stand-up he has a few specials out there i want to say on amazon but uh yeah i just met him working on that he is a cool guy started following on instagram found out that he is genuinely a funny guy you know, because whenever someone says that they're a comedian, it's always like that. Oh, that's great. You could suck, though. Like, I don't want to <laughs> go to your show, though. Cause I don't want to, like, have to fake laugh. Um, <laughs> those suck. Uh, but <laughs> uh, he he is really funny. And he was played. I think he did a great job. Yeah, he was really good. I thought he was yeah. really good. This is his first feature, though. I do know that. So hopefully... Or his first movie poster. Well, and I think he, his first feature, too. He's not considered an extra in the sense that you, you were the one that had to find him, though? Yeah. No, 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 no. My people have no lines. <laughs> and as you can tell, as I told you, they're not even actors, so it's not even like I was casting. All right. <laughs> Those are real people in the real world. Yeah, it's interesting because he's the other foil against the the main character, and he does a really good job, too, and they have their own best friend chemistry that works really well. Yeah, they're they're seen together um, by the fire is a great scene. Yeah. With with some words of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Or not... now for for this film here um since you were already in um cinema you you know you you, you've you've done a lot of great stuff um did you know where and how to help promote this film once it got out because as an actor in the film never mind a producer and and obviously you wanted to have this film be successful. Um, and Alex is, is fairly new to, um, uh, motion pictures in a sense. 
but you already had, you know, your, your foot in the door, obviously. Were you able to um, really help get it promoted as it has been? Because that's um, how we found out about it was, was through some of the publicists. They, uh, who, the publicists they found are doing footwork, which is great. Like, they are really doing a lot. Um, I've been very busy, which has been great. Um, I did not help with that. The only help I can really do promoting is putting it out on the internet. And I feel bad even doing, I feel like I'm not even doing a fully great job of that either because I've been not really on, I've been distancing myself from social media. Um, Oh yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. I I needed a, a break. Um, but they've, they're doing it themselves and the PR team is doing a great job at what, with everything. They really are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's how we've heard about it. And, um, we made sure to get the press le- release that they sent us on our website. So, that, so folks knew it was coming out. Cool. Um, thank you. Yeah. And then they were the ones that uh, let us know that, uh, you, you were available to, to talk about the film. And so we appreciate you, mm-hmm. uh, to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, Barrett, you got a question? Um, I don't think I have any more questions. How about you? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I guess we we could ask you uh, the "It Follows" question. Go for everybody, it. Everybody asks you that. Um, <laughs> how did how did you get involved uh, and become Yara? Um, did did they? Did, I mean, it, it was what it was a some a uh, few years back. So so was mm-hmm. it one of your your first big roles and and whatnot? That was that was uh, my first film. It was my first oh, nice. uh, on location. It was my my first hit, um, <laughs> and it was one of the most life changing and best kindred memories I have of acting. Um, I'm still very good friends with Kira Gilchrist. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't seen him in basically a year now because of the pandemic, but uh, we're still friends. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, getting involved, um, I did a, a tape. I shot an audition tape, I think, for the sister. Um, I can't remember her name right, right now. Lily Steppi's part. Uh, yeah. Yep. I think I auditioned first for that, and then they had me, they liked me, and they were like, can you do another tape for this character instead? And I was like, sure. And I did it. And then Fab Data got it. I screamed and ran. And <laughs> I then, or no, I found out that I had a meeting with the, with uh, David Robert Mitchell that, and he, and it went well. The meeting went well. The phone meeting <laughs> went well. And then I found out I got it. And then I screamed and I ran. And, and then I left like two weeks later to go film in Detroit and, now the rest is history. It is. Yeah. Yes. Now, let me ask you about um, the, your other big thing that uh, everybody knows about the Deuce. How did you get involved <laughs> in that? That that's a that's a great show, and and uh, and you know everybody loved loved all the characters, including yours, on the show and, and stuff. Thank you. And how how did you get involved in that? That was a great. Um, that was once again. It's I mean another audition, but uh, I auditioned for Margarita's character. Um, God, names are escaping me today. Margarita's character, Abby, 
the yep. college student. I auditioned for her first, and they were like, um, you look a little young. And then they were <laughs> like, well, why don't you audition for Lori, Emily Mead's character? And then I did a callback with that character, and then, you know, I obviously didn't get it, and Emily got it, which she was meant to. And uh, they they were like, you know, she didn't get that part, but there's a part in the pilot that only has one line, um, which I didn't, not even in the pilot that they gave us. They were like, she's not mentioned in it, but she's in it, but we would love to have her, so does she want to play this person? And I was like, yes, of course. And then um, Melissa got a part that stayed. <laughs> and she stayed to the end. Indeed. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Was, so I'm so great. grateful for that. And that show was another, like, that, that's my, like, family. Those people. I love them all. Miss them oh, sure. a lot. Yeah. What was uh so you're in uh, Channel Zero Butcher Block, which was quite mm-hmm. an interesting season. Thank you. <laughs> How'd you get involved with that? Um, I after the t- I did a self tape, and after that, I had a Skype with Arkasha, who is the director, and with Nick, who's the writer and the creator of it. Um, I had I had some FaceTimes with them. We really clicked. With Nick, we started talking about, like, schizophrenia and uh, art, actually. <laughs> about, um, there's an artist that does, that paints her schizophrenic, schizophrenic, I can't, I feel like I'm not saying that word right right now. You are. Okay. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. But he, we started talking about that. She does her schizophrenic vision draw, as drawings, and they're really beautiful and creepy. And we started discussing that, me, me and Arkasha really clicked and I'm so glad I got it. And that's what I shot in Winnipeg. Oh, oh that makes yeah. sense. Look at that. Just going right back. To the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. But it was amazing. And working with Rutger Hauer, I mean, I'm so glad I was able to do that before his, his passing. passing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was awesome. And I only remember, like, I really remembered him from, uh, Merlin. Do you remember that? <laughs> That, like TNT made for TV yeah. movie with Sam like Neil like and like Richardson That's and, right. and Cersei, you know. That's right. Lena, Lena, yeah, Lena Headey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, yeah. I think it's Headley. I I yeah. I get dyslexic with that name so not often. Yeah, uh, but yeah, she's in it as Guinevere, which is one of the reasons I started watching Game of Thrones when it first came out. I was like, oh, it's like Guinevere, bitch. Like, yeah, I like, this? And then everyone started getting into it. I liked it before it was popular. I read the books before it even was a show, so. I tried reading the books, but I can't, like, I lose focus, sadly. But yeah, I, yeah. I know the wiki, and I'm rewatching it again for, like, I don't even know how many times. Yeah, I've done that a couple times, show. too. Yeah, it's a great show. So, what's, oh, your favorite re- what's your favorite character? Re-watch. What? What's what? your sorry? What, what, what's your favorite character <laughs> of Game of Thrones? All of them. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you can't really choose, you know. Um, I love yeah. Arya. Yeah. I love Arya and the Hound together. Like I would watch just the show. Yes, them. yes, that was a great. And then Cersei is such a good villain. She is the best. She's I think she's one of my favorite. Bitch. Yeah. And then Daenerys has such amazing moments. Like she. 
her moments make me fucking cry all the time. And it, she's so good with it. But, you know, I know everyone's, like, so mad at the end, like, with her. They've been planning it since the beginning, if you're watching yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, once, yeah. Oh, once, yeah. Once she killed the calls, done. Yeah. It was yeah, done. Yeah. Like, that's when she became cold. If you rewatch it again. Yes. Watch yep. it. And you see it. That's when she really, like, she still had her humanity and her kindness. After that, she's like, I don't fucking care. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So bad. <laughs> yeah, she was bad. I fucking love that show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great show. It was. It was a great show. Yeah. I watch The Red Wedding every once in a while if I want to be like really depressed. And <laughs> you, you're an masochist. I know. awesome. But my favorite scene is related to uh, what you said, Olivia. Uh, the the chicken scene with the hound and uh, area. I take two chickens. Yes. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, Justin's a cunt, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. It's awesome. Oh, I do love them. I love that. Yeah. show. that's a show I wish I could have been on. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just not yeah. British enough. Oh well. At all. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everybody. Everybody was was from a different country, except for. Uh, Tyrion, he was American, but all the other actors are all foreign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, um, for folks that uh, follow you, and, and uh, no pun intended, following you, um, <laughs> uh, where, where are they going to be able to see you uh, next now that the deuce is wrapped up and um, and this film is now out? Beside, because obviously they can see you right now in this film mm-hmm. here, but uh, after Go, Don't Go, what, what else are you have in the works that you want to let people know about? At the moment, I have nothing in the works. I am back on the auditioning uh, board, but room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, I'm back on the casting couch. I'm not. But, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> joke. <laughs> Parents <laughs> loving that joke. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> in my own couch. Because <laughs> of quarantine. But um, what's it called? Um, I don't have anything coming out in the horizon, not that I know of. Who knows if I shot an indie a while ago and it just never came out? That's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, after you watch Go Don't Go, and you want to see something, some of the stuff that I've been in, there is a new film that came out last month called Paint. That's available on all streaming sites as well. Um, and it's a great film about artists trying to make it in New York City after art school, so it's a very relatable feeling for a lot of people. And then also on CW Seed, I did a fun horror, like a campy horror comedy um, that Zelda Williams directed, and it has a great cast, and it's a lot of fun, and that's on CW Seed, and it's called Kappa Kappa Die. And it's just like an hour long, so it's a fun little... It can't be horror. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be horror comedy. (laughs) Yeah. Those are always good. And it's a sorority (laughs) thing. So, I mean. Oh, even better. uh, Yeah, right? (laughs) The only chance I could play a sorority girl. All the pledge. (laughs) You know, I wasn't into it, but it's the only chance I got to play a sorority. (laughs) Right. That's great. Yeah. And I didn't go to college, so I had to live it somehow. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. 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 Do it in acting, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Nice. It's probably yeah. more fun than the. <laughs> yeah, because I can kind of opt out to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of. But, 
Yeah. You're getting paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. College yeah. that pays me. That's right. Yeah. That's a great concept, actually. Right. Yeah. We will educate you, and we will give you money for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, answering some of our questions. Um, and uh, folks can find the film uh, pretty much anywhere video on demand is. So mm-hmm. um, that would be like uh, – Amazon, iTunes, uh, Voodoo, a uh, bunch of all the all the other ones. So that's great, um, and we highly recommend it. Uh, we enjoyed it. We we both uh, watched it this this week and uh, give it a big thumbs up, two thumbs up. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so uh, hopefully we get to see you uh, in some other stuff uh, besides paint and. Uh, Camda, Camda, Kappa, Kappa, die. That's it. Yeah. So, so we'll we'll uh, uh, be on the lookout. And if there's anything else that you want to let folks know about, uh, you're always welcome back here. Uh, so, oh, thank most you. certainly, absolutely. Thank you so much. And, yeah, no problem. And uh, um, I know you're off social media, or, or you're planning to be. But is there anywhere that you wanted to let anybody know that they can follow you on social media? I am still on Instagram. Um, and technically Twitter, but I'm privatized and I don't even know how to look at requests. So it's Luchardi, which my name is Olivia Lucardi, but it's Luchardi, L-U-C-H-A-R-D-I-I. And gotcha. It's the mispronunciation pronunciation of my name. Gotcha. I leaned into it. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Very good. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah, uh, and, good, and good luck with uh, good luck thank with uh, the film and and all that other stuff. So thank you, thank Appreciate you. It. Okay, yeah, good luck with the cold, guys. Yes, yes, well, yes. Sorry, I had seriously. To rub it in. I'm new to California, so I'm allowed. Yeah, uh, you true. Know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've yeah, been you in the cold, in. so it's okay. You know what yeah. it's like. I know yeah. it. I know it. I'm, you do. I hate it. Okay. <laughs> all right, bye, thank guys. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Thank bye. you. Right. All right, so that was pretty good. Uh, Olivia was really cool. Uh, I liked her a lot. What did you think? Uh, yeah, did... that was a fun interview. Yeah, she's really fun and had a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah, yeah, and, she, and she's pretty frank about all the things. You know, like like right, the pandemic's going on. There, there's no no real work right now, and uh, she just um, is quarantining like everybody else and hoping to get stuff uh, off the ground sooner or later. Um, but uh, we were able to fortunately ask not only about go don't go but some questions about deuce and and uh, it follows as well which was kind of cool yeah yeah it was really cool yeah <laughs> yeah so all right uh now let's get i guess we can get into the second interview and uh we'll we'll talk about uh the movie with the director screenwriter and i guess lead of the film uh alex snap all right so we are here now with uh actually the writer, the director, the star, uh, probably a number of other things behind the scenes as well. Uh, his, and, well, I actually let him introduce himself. So, uh, Mr. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Alex Knapp. And, uh, yeah, writer, director, actor in the movie Go, Don't Go. Um, and excited to be here. Excited to talk about the movie. Excellent. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. Uh, um, 
yeah, we, we both actually like the film a lot, and that's the reason why we, we asked both you and Olivia to join us so we could uh, get some more feedback on our questions and hope uh, the listeners um, have uh, their answer questions answered as well. Um, some of the questions I'm sure you're not going to gonna answer because we're going to try to say, yeah, what, what caused the apocalypse? What's in the dark? You know, and you may not want to tell us, but, you know, so be it. But um, So we'll, we'll uh, do a roundtable. Barrett, you know, if you want, you can start. Uh, I'm sure you have some questions, and I'll go, and we'll go back and forth. All right. Sounds good. Um, so this film kind of reminded me of early Darren Aronofsky. Um, I was wondering what kind of sparked the idea for this film and get it from you i mean olivia kind of said it was from a dream that you had or a nightmare you had uh yeah uh well well first that's a very flattering compliment uh aronofsky's awesome and uh his stuff is is really cool um and actually in college i met um a guy uh who i think was one of the screenwriters for the wrestler uh came and spoke at a class of mine and that was i remember that being super inspirational um but uh yeah it's the idea for the film kind of originally years and years ago uh i had this kind of crazy dream nightmare where i was uh playing baseball uh on a on a baseball diamond with all my friends and we were laughing and cheering and hitting and catching and then all of a sudden the dream camera kind of panned out and uh i was actually completely alone um with a pitching machine just kind of spitting balls at me and uh i have kind of an interesting uh relationship with my dreams and and kind of that kind of part of me and uh it was super super vivid and super real and i woke up kind of freaked out at what that scenario was and it felt so real and and just started thinking about how how that situation could possibly come to be. Um, and then that kind of got my brain going and kind of spun me into a bu bunch of different directions and, and kind of pulled other things from my life and um, some experiences and emotions and things I was feeling and, and um, different stuff and being inspired by upstate New York, where at the time I, I was just visiting a lot and hadn't moved up here yet, but was living in New York City um, and that kind of juxtaposition of a super rural area and a super living in a super populated area and kind of the feelings of isolation and lo and you can drive for 20 minutes and not see anyone and, and you thinking about living like that and, um, and yeah, and then, you know, some other relationship stuff and just things that, w that were kicking around my head and, tried to think of how I could write a movie, a script that was, you know, small and contained and, and doable and uh, something I could pull off for an amount of money that I thought I could get. And, and uh, that that's kind of where, how it came to be. Thank you. Now, um, uh, I guess to add on to that question that Barrett asked, uh, yeah, basically uh, the character in the story, uh, even prior to, um, uh, well, I, I guess you figure it out after uh, five minutes, the, the, whatever the apocalypse was. Yeah, don't, um, don't worry about spoiling it. That's okay. There are no spoilers. In a, in a movie of our size, you just you tell people and you hope they watch it. 
that's a good point. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll, we get get you some viewers, actually. So your character is kind of the brooding, quiet, uh, loner type prior to the apocalypse. And then after the apocalypse, um, he is still a loner and whatnot. But oddly, when he interacts with uh, memories or people that he he creates as as you know a child would create a uh, uh, invisible friend or something because he lives in a, a town he goes to uh, work he goes shopping and various other things so my question is is when you set it up having this brooding character is it because of his relationship with his girlfriend right before the, the apocalypse that he is now out of his shell and it's just bad luck that everything everybody's gone now and so now he's he's actually lonely after the apocalypse versus before when he was more of a loner because he wanted to be a loner yeah i mean i think there is an irony there um where it's like a wallflower kind of uh loner who doesn't necessarily like people and is super shy ends up being the last person around and maybe got a little bit more than he bargained for. Um, so I thought that was interesting um, and, and kind of an interesting thing to see. And then, you know, to your point about when he, when we do see some of these flashbacks or he has these conversations with people that may or may not be there, he is maybe a little bit more outgoing. And, and to me, that was more of like, you know, even someone who's super shy and super quiet, the conversations in their head are not, um, you know, uh, just, you know, a lot of people have different uh, personalities. They have kind of an outward personality and a personality that they maybe project in social situations. And then they kind of have an interior monologue and an interior personality. And those aren't necessarily the same. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll find, meet these people. I mean, I know have, I have people in my life who are super socially awkward and shy and, and aloof. But if you're one-on-one -on -one with them and you've known them for years and years and years, they're like a completely different person. Um, and, and so there was an element of that there too, where in a lot of those scenes were kind of privy to the conversations that he's having in his head or privy to the conversations that he's having with people that he is comfortable with and uh, is maybe a little bit more outgoing with. All right. Barrett. So this is your first um, full-length film effort, correct? Yeah, uh, directorial. Yeah, first directorial feature. I've acted in a few features previously. So what was it like being everything i mean you're the main no. actor you were directing yourself you were you know you wrote the script so you're like telling yourself how you should do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it uh i wouldn't totally recommend it uh you know maybe uh, i don't know um but i the biggest thing was to um you know i was lucky enough to surround myself with other people that were super talented and super, super good filmmakers. Um, I mean, Frankie Terriano, uh, my DP and cinematographer who I've worked with for like 10 years now is an incredible director and obviously has a great eye and someone I trust a lot, um, for even more than just visual stuff. Um, my producing partner, Max Gardner is, is a director in his own right and someone who, who I could, 
you know, bounce off performance stuff with and make sure that things were kind of happening behind the scenes. And uh, one of our producers, Derek Brown, who was a, a camera op and kind of a second unit cinematographer for us, um, is also a big commercial director. Um, so, and, and also my editor, Colin Davis, is, is awesome. And he's edited a bunch of features and is a total pro and, and is a director and producer as well. So, these were all people that I knew I could trust and people that I could, I knew that, you know, if something sucked, they would tell me if something wasn't good, they would let me know if something was good and we could move on. They would also let me know. Um, and a lot of that too, as, as much of like the downside of having to do so many things, I definitely was, I made it a little bit easier on myself having written the script because I knew the character I knew everything about it and I knew all the emotional beats and I knew the way I would have wanted it to be portrayed. And I knew kind of the truth behind a lot of the things and I knew the subtext. And so I had that. And I feel like as an actor, those are the things you're always trying to get a hold of and find for yourself. Like what is the subtext of what this person is really saying or what is the motivation here? Um, and as a director, you're trying to pull those things out of someone. And so I already had all of that in my head. Um, so in a, in a weird way, it felt there were parts of it that were a little bit easier, maybe, or, or a little bit more intuitive because I had written the script and knew the story so well. Um, and then the other part of it, too, was there was a little bit of like a dissociative personality disorder thing that I had to do where... I didn't really think of myself, uh, I thought of it as Adam, like there is this other person here who, who is doing this and definitely like in the editing process, when I would sit there with Colin and we were editing the film, it's like I referred to the character as Adam. And like in my head, when I was watching the screen, I wasn't watching myself. I was watching this other person that had, that was acting. Um, and so in a weird way that, and that kind of just ha happened naturally, but I think it was kind of a, almost like a defense mechanism or something. And also a way to like, give me perspective. Like I attempted to like, try to look at Adam and the performance of that character, uh, from a further away perspective. Um, um, and it, but it was super interesting. I mean, there were times where it was like, we would do a take and I would be like, Oh, I totally nailed that. Like I nailed that. We're moving on. And people, you know, a couple of people behind the camera would be like, eh, I think we want to get one more. Like, I don't know. And I'll be like, all right, all right. One more for safety. Sure, 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 sure. And then, you know, it would end up being that last take. That was the better take. So there was an element there of like, um, you know, it took me maybe a week or so into filming to, to, get to gauge that properly and really be able to. And part of that too, was just, you know, the first week of going home and watching dailies every single day of every, you know, every shot of every take and being like, was that good? Was that not good? And in the moment did I think that was good or did I not think that was good and kind of calibrating as the shoot went on. Now um, I, I actually saw uh, a film uh, last year called the assistant uh, starring, mm. um, uh, Julia Garner of, of Ozark. Um, and that, that film was an interesting film because uh, it was really just 
um, a character study of her following her around, and then eventually there's a big moment that happens at near the end that is slowly built up to it, so you knew it was going to happen. Um, but the film, uh, it, you can see how it was considered art house, so certain people may not enjoy it. But um, that director, uh, Kitty Green, actually made that film interesting and, and kept people's attention, at least my attention, while I was watching it, and, and it's fairly uh, good reviews that it has. Uh, I was curious how you were able to do it, or what made you, or what influenced you, or maybe it's just your own talent, were to able to make a, a story similar to this that you have here in this film, where you have a character that's alone. I would say, I don't know, 70% of the t film, it's just you not even speaking to anybody. And uh, and not because of anything, but because there's no one there except your character. So was it the editing? Was it these multiple takes that you said? What Was it cutting the story as, as you went? Or was it scenes you added to just make it like work? Because it, it really does yeah. work. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, definitely, uh, you know... This it kind of reminds me of this like very classic filmmaking saying of like you make a film three times you make it when you write it when you shoot it and when you edit it and a lot of times those are three kind of totally different films and I think um, you know I wrote a script that was fairly untraditional and you know obviously the movie doesn't have a lot of dialogue and and there were definitely elements in the script of having flashbacks and having um, but I could use a lot of tricks in the script. It's like I could write in the exposition what the character was thinking or something he saw or something he was feeling uh, that then we had to figure out how to translate that onto screen. Um, and so there was kind of a, uh, things had to change when, when we were shooting and trying to conceive it um, as, as a movie. And then in the editing process too, you know, you kind of things change again and, and you realize what works and what doesn't work. And, I will say, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of the sprinkling out and of the flashbacks and the kind of the sprinkling out of these moments of him going back or these kind of quick montages of, of things that are behind us or things that are ahead of us that we haven't seen yet. A lot of that stuff was found in the edit. Um, I will say, you know, the crux of one thing that I found in the script that I thought because definitely like a, one person on screen for 90 minutes and the majority of which they're not talking, you have to find creative ways to make that engaging and interesting. Um, and so for me, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and, and this may lead to some of your future questions, um, was playing with this idea of like, is he alone? Is he not alone? Is there someone there? Is this in his head? No, he's crazy. Oh, wait, maybe he isn't crazy. Wait, are there people there? No, there aren't people there. This kind of back and forth of what I'm showing you and what I then prove either to be real or to not be real and kind of his descent into craziness kind of adding to that heightened sense of what is exactly happening um, in real time and, and sort of playing with that and forcing the audience to want to continue watching, hoping that they'll, they'll get more clarity there, but really they're just going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. 
um, as he is. Um, that was kind of a, a way that I found to make this still engaging through the whole thing. And, and then, yeah, again, a lot of those things uh, in the editing process, you kind of find what works and find what doesn't work. And, and there were cuts of the film that were much more linear. And then it's like, no, we need to screw this up more and we need to add this into here and have him bounce back here and, and do this there. And, and so you kind of end up finding, finding it a little bit um, in the edit. Yeah, and and I, I must say that um, like um, a different film would have had voiceovers or something, and and you you yeah. didn't have those at all, and and uh, and it was uh, probably a, a smart move because the film you made is is definitely the one that I think would would work, but you know versus versus the voiceovers. Yeah. But uh, Barrett, you got a question? Um, so I know I have a favorite scene. I'm wondering, do you have a favorite scene out of the movie? Ooh, uh, good question. I I could maybe guess you, your favorite scene. Um, Go ahead, try. Uh, is it the bowling scene? Of course. Yeah, it's okay. the best scene in the movie. It's a good one. It's a. And it's, by, there are by other design. scenes that are almost as good, but yeah. that one's just awesome. Um, the bowling scene is a great scene, and I and I think um, uh, I'll, well, I'll say my favorite scene personally is. Uh, comes a few scenes before the bowling scene. It's the moment, uh, it's the little mini conversation scene that Adam and Kay have in the bedroom before he goes to the grocery store the last time. Um, and that is my favorite scene only because I think uh, it is kind of a more traditional, like, um, people are talking. <laughs> um and so I, uh, and I think it's that scene for me is kind of like the emotional heart of just like seeing this couple have this conversation that is like, um, a conversation that they could have had years ago that could have been real, but it's also something that is happening to him in his head in this kind of magical, magical realism moment, uh, in the present and um i just like kind of the intimacy of that scene and and um uh i like my performance in that scene and i like olivia's performance in that scene and i think it kind of that scene kind of then gives you the heart to then of the movie to then do the grocery store scene and the bowling alley scene and the shack scene at the end it it, it kind of is that last conversation piece that sets you off into like um, all these kind of more exciting, interesting scenes. Um, but yeah, people love the bowling scene and that was definitely by design. Like I, I always looked at the bowling scene as this kind of emotional cathartic release that I could give everyone after they've sat through 70 minutes of this kind of slow, <laughs> sad, melancholy journey is like, Hey, here's this moment of jubilation and like, and it's wacky and we're dancing and it's slow-mo and there's a song and, and it, and all the lights and all the colors and just this kind of, you know, cathartic release of energy there. Um, after you've been wanting something like that, you know, for the whole film is it's kind of right at the perfect spot and kind of delivers right what you write, what you want, even if you don't know you wanted it. Now, um, I have a question about 
uh, cinematography and a few things like that. But yeah. um, I mentioned this to Olivia. I said uh, the thing that I hate the worst about post-apocalypse uh, shows or movies is the grass is manicured and cut. And you were smart enough, and unfortunately you live in an area where I like I live, which is somewhat rural, so you can find fields and, and, and power lines and, and, and baseball fields that aren't being used anymore. You, you were able to find all these locations, and you being from the area where you filmed, you probably were able to find them more easily than, say, if you were had to do scout location work. Um, I wanted to ask um, what, two things. The first is, was that on your mind when you were making it because you've probably heard the same things I have when, you know, you watch the walking dead, you laugh your ass off because they <laughs> screwed, screwed that up. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, is, is when you did those drone or uh, actually I should even ask, are they drone shots um, or, or helicopter or crane, the shots where you go over the old factory and the buses and, and all those other things? Um, because with the technology people have now, folks like you are able to make shots like that or make films period versus say back in the seventies when you had, you know, Toby Hooper or John Carpenter or whoever that was working on B films, trying to get stuff done. They had much more limitations and then, than say you, because you have uh, the access to things that they didn't. So um, I guess my questions are, the, which was the first was the um, locations and the second was um, the drones and, and the technology that you used to, to get those great shots. Yeah, I will say definitely we were thinking about continuity um, in the locations and there were even times I remember one day we came back to a location and someone had cut the grass and we freaked out and we were like, we're screwed. Like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're totally screwed. What are we going to do? Um, yeah, and we even had conversations of like, okay, do we need to shoot a shot of Adam on a lawnmower for just like two seconds? Like, it's like Adam's on a lawnmower. And like that, you get one shot of that and that can explain all of it away, you know? Um, it's just like him on a lawnmower one morning, you know? That's part of his whatever morning routine. But we ended up not feeling like we had to go all that way with it. We definitely were lucky with a lot of our locations just kind of being naturally overgrown and, and we purposely chose areas that were somewhat untouched and just fields and there's a lot of that sort of stuff up here and and um, and and we tried to have an eye for some of that. I mean I definitely think you know you on closer expect inspection if you went back and watched every single scene you'd probably be like, you know what I think that grass has been cut somewhere by, you know, around the house or something. Um, and, and so you, you, you try to, you kind of just do the best you can with it. And at our level, we don't, you know, we didn't have total control. And, and at some point you just kind of have to let it go. And, and, um, but there were a few moments there where, where, you know, we were definitely worried about some stuff or thinking about things. Um, and then the second question is, um, yeah, those, that is a drone uh, that we owned. Um, I run a production company outside of this movie that shoots commercials and music videos and short films and, and produces other, other people's stuff. And, uh, and so, yeah, we had a, um, a Phantom 4 Pro with us on set. And, um, 
and yeah, that was operated by by my DP Frankie, who 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 does a little bit of drone operating as well. And with the drone stuff, what I really like, we were very very specific with what we shot and the way we shot it. I personally, one of the problems that I found with the rise of these kind of prosumer drones, where anyone can get their hands on it, is it a lot of times people will throw it into thing to movies or shorts or whatever, and it lacks a level of uh, just a level of like framing and composition. People think that you can just put the drone in the air and you fly it and then you can move it around and, and that's a drone shot and it's, you know, but it's to me, anytime the drone is like, anytime the camera of the drone is moving, I immediately know it's a drone and I'm taken out of it. So I like to just like, you put it in the air, you point it down at the ground and you move it one direction and that's it. That's the shot. And it allows you to all, you know, you obviously know it's an aerial shot and you know, it's either a drone or a helicopter or something, but you're not like taken out of it by seeing the camera head move. You know what I mean? And I think that's just like a little nitpicky thing that I really don't like. Um, and so we were just very specific with that. And, and yeah, like around us, there's a lot of like big dilapidated factories and there's um, this kind of weird little shanty village that's like 50 years old and all the houses are crumbling and the shots of the semi trucks. I actually, uh, I do, I have for my production company do a lot of like corporate video and that was like a shot of like a logistics warehouse where they do shipping and receiving with just like tons of semi trucks that were all parked for the day. And, and, uh, so I had quite a bit of footage like that of various stuff. And, and, um, and that for us was like, we knew we didn't have the money, you know, in a perfect world, maybe there's some aerial sh part of that aerial montage also like goes over all downtown Albany and it's all mossed over and it's broken down and the buildings are crumbling and the cars are all covered in stuff. But we, I didn't, I can't, I didn't, couldn't do that. You know, um, just didn't, didn't have the ability to make that happen. So for me, it was like, what can we do to give the audience a scale for the first time to take them way further away from the, just this one dude show them a ton of this landscape and have it be desolate and empty um and kind of to really reveal and hammer that point home that he's alone and how do we do that in a way that's kind of interesting and looks good and lives within the visual world that we've kind of created here right. all right um so <laughs> Where did the idea for burying the light bulbs come from? I really like that. I, th I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. And was it symbolic or was he actually burying all these light bulbs and putting all the little crosses in? And Yeah. Well, it's both. I mean, he is doing that, um, but it is symbolic. So to me, it was one of those things where, you know, um, essentially what it's symbolic of is, you know, he, there's no people left. And so, and they've all, they're gone. And he never was able to mourn these people, really. Um, he was never able to, there's no more funerals. There's no more eulogies. There's no more of any of that um, because there's no one around. And so there's a level of 
that this kind of symbolizes as he's going from house to house to kind of maintain these things, these light bulbs kind of represent the people that have burned out and that are no longer there. And so this is kind of a way for him to, to kind of pay his respects to, to the people that are no longer there and kind of continue this kind of tradition and ritual of like burying, honoring something in burial um, that he, you know, couldn't do because there's, there's no people around. Um, and that was kind of a running theme through the film of like this idea that he's hanging on to these things. Like he still goes to work. He still goes to the grocery store. He's still doing all of this stuff. And there's an element there that he's doing this to maintain a sense of humanity and like to hold on to the past life that he had when people were around. And though these are the rituals and the traditions that he's trying to hold on to, because if you don't do any of those things anymore, then like how quickly do you, are you not a human anymore? Like how quickly do you just become an animal who's like scavenging for food or something? And so for him, those were things that tied him to other people, even if they weren't there anymore. Um, so that, and, and, and he's also going crazy. So it's like, how do you do that? You, he's going to start burying stuff because he's kind of losing it, you know? And, and this is his way of paying respects and, and still going through a, an element, an element of mourning. Uh, now, uh, I, I have a, a question about, um, the apocalypse uh, in a sense that, um, like when, when you have, uh, things like the stand by Stephen King, um, people die and then there's bodies just everywhere. Or if we have Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, we have people get infected and they become zombies and they're everywhere. Um, but then we have films like A Quiet Place, uh, Emily Blunt's film, and the people disappear and there is no bodies and there is no zombies. And, and the reason for that is we find out they're basically Eden. Um, in your film, we're introduced to your character after the apocalypse where there is no bodies anywhere. And as you mentioned, he, he hasn't mourned them in a sense that he, if there was a body that he could bury and never mind, he's not with anybody anyway. And then we do have uh, one scene where we see a character um, that he's with in, in like a flashback that disappears into the darkness. Um, were you, um, making this apocalypse similar to like a, the, a quiet place version rather than um, the other type where people just are either corpses or zombies. In, in other words, obviously you were, but, but was it because of um, the story you had or was it also partly because you needed extras if you, if you did it otherwise where you would have corpses and, and makeup and whatever. I was just curious um the, the reason for that, because it was an interesting aspect of that, this film, never mind a quiet place. Yeah. I think a, a lot of different things kind of went into that decision. Um, and I almost think of it as like a leftover situation. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, the show. Yeah. The leftovers. yeah. We talked about that with Olivia as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, in the leftovers, it's like they wake up and, and, you know, 2% of people are just gone and they don't reveal what, what the answer is to what, where they went and what happened until, you know, the very, very last episode of the entire series or something. And, and it's because that's not what the movies, the show is about. Like the show is about the people that are left and how they deal with that. 
And, you know, I felt that with making a movie like this, um, we've seen a lot of these post-apocalyptic films before, and a lot of them are really good. And there are really good zombie movies and shows, and there are really good, like, virus movies and shows, and there's all, and a lot of them have been done, and I wasn't confident that I could come up with anything better than that. Um, you know, I, and, uh, and, and I almost felt like that it wasn't interesting to me because of that. And it, I, I just didn't think I would be able to top any of those things. Um, and so what I felt like was kind of interesting and something that maybe we hadn't seen is a movie that's less about what happened and where did everyone go and what's the answer and more about, well, what is it like for the 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 people that are left and that's what it's about it's about what is it like for them what do they go through maybe they don't even know what happened you know it's like a lot of times in these films we're given this kind of omniscient narrator perspective of like a newsreel tells us that it's a virus or there's a voiceover that says something well in reality if there was an event like this there there may there may not be an answer that's readily available to you um and you know we definitely had a few uh kind of working theories or things that we believe to be true about the world um that allowed us to shoot the film and edit the film in a certain way um but I think part of it too is is written and conceived with a level of ambiguity um, on purpose, which I know can be frustrating for some people. Um, and uh, and there's a level too of of you know we're watching this film through Adam's eyes, and is there a level of so so because you're watching the movie through someone's eyes who's going through this experience, you're not getting truth you're getting their version of perspective. You're getting their perspective. You're not getting this kind of uh, total omniscient truth. And so um, a lot of these sorts of things can also play in a level of metaphor and symbolism as well. You know, a lot of the reviews and that I've read and, and other people that I've talked to have talked about the idea that, you know, Adam is maybe shut off from kind of, he's, in his own kind of mental purgatory and like there are people, but he's just not willing to see them or, you know, um, and and certain things like that. And I think all of those are valid. Um, and I also think it could have been giant spiders that were plucking people out of the air and burrowing (laughs) them deep underground. Um, and I, and I think to me, it's kind of like a pick your poison. It's like what, what rings true to you, or, or whatever you feel like makes the most sense here is is valid. And hopefully, you know, you don't get stuck on wanting to know the answer to that and you're willing to kind of go on the journey of, of what happens to this guy at the end, uh, no matter what it is. And, and that makes sense because it, it is really, I mean, it's, the story's not really about the apocalypse, it's about him. And so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah so that, that's... That, that answers my question really well. Uh, well I'm kind of glad you didn't get to do like a drone view of Albany or anything like that. That would have taken away a little bit of the ambiguity yeah. uh, of where his sanity is and what's going on. So I think totally. that's good. 
Yeah, and there was also like uh, an element too of of um, we wanted to make sure what we did we did really well, like within our the parameters of what we could do uh, as far as a production. And it always sucks when you see a movie that is like pretty good, and then there's like a couple shots where the graphics are horrible, or like they tried to do something that they clearly just couldn't pull off because they felt like they needed to show this grand scale and it just doesn't work in the rest of the movie. And you're immediately like, Ugh, I wish they had put that scene in, you know, that, sh that one or two shots in there. And I didn't want to do that. You know, I didn't want to force it and have it be this thing that was so obviously forced. Um, because I, we felt like we had to appease and give kind of more, uh, of some grand scale of something that, that I didn't think we could totally pull off. Instead, I felt like, Hey, you know what? We, we can live in the ambiguity a little bit and, and we can live in that space as long as we kind of pull it off. Well, yeah. Um, so my question, uh, I really like the soundtrack. How did you decide where to put the songs, what songs to use and where can we find these songs? Cause I liked some of them, but you know, I'd like yeah. to know where to get them. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So a lot of the songs, there's only probably about three or like three, four, yeah, three or four, four songs that have like lyrics that are like true songs that kind of existed. Maybe, maybe four, um, that existed, you know, prior to the, to the film that aren't like original score basically. Um, and some of those songs were actually things, um, they were songs that I had written into the script, um, in those scenes, which is normally not, uh, traditional or not really, you're not really supposed to do that. Really? Um, yeah, because, you know, if you're writing a script as a screenwriter and you're trying to sell it and have someone else direct it, oh. it's kind of like you're putting too much of your own personal flair into it and, um, but for me, it's like writing the script. I knew at the time I was going to direct it. And so for me, I put a lot of things in the script like that, that were just kind of notes to myself and also things that as someone was reading this scene, I wanted them to look up this song and listen to it because it, I knew it was, it would go perfect one-to-one -one. and, you know, writing some of these scenes with these songs in mind, I think really helps them land. Um, and ended up working out. And so, yeah, like the, the scene, um, uh, in, where he's driving in the car, this song, I don't know plays, which is also the song in the trailer, uh, that we have. Um, and then, uh, in the bowling alley scene, uh, Raylan Baxter song, um, I did a bad thing, uh, plays. And, uh, I think that's why I, I can't remember what the title, I think that's the title, but uh, it's a Raylan Baxter song. And then at the, at the end um, during the shack scene, that's a typhoon song um, called prosthetic limb. And typhoon is an old friend there that it's a big band from Portland, Oregon, where I'm originally from and they're old high school friends of mine. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I wrote, pretty much wrote all of those songs into the script. And there were a few more that I had actually written into the script in certain scenes um, that just kind of didn't work out as far as licensing and just getting the rights to those and, and working it out with the artists and the management people. Um, um, 
so yeah we we don't have plans to release like uh a soundtrack with those songs on it just because it's uh it's a, a kind of a confusing complicated thing again with licensing and getting every getting all the sign off and packaging that whole thing up um is kind of a big to do and uh uh, but we are releasing the score. We are releasing the oh. original score, um, which was composed by um, Evan Joseph and Luke Schwartz and uh, Thomas Essig, who was one of our executive producers, also scored about six or seven scenes. Um, and, and, and so that's like, you know, 90% of the film is, is um, those original scores. And yeah, I mean, I, I come from, <clears throat> I make a lot of music videos and I shoot a lot of music videos. And so I've just kind of forever have been uh, really inspired by if I can hear a song, I can create visuals to it um, or kind of vice versa. Um, I can think of something I want to shoot and I can find a song that fits that. Um, and so for me, those things have always gone like super hand in hand. And there are a few scenes in the movie where I almost wanted to make them feel like a little mini music video or something, or like a little vignette that like lives in its own space with this song uh, in this scene that, you know, obviously has, you know, more weight if you have the context of watching the whole film, but you could also just watch this one scene and still kind of feel something from it with the song and with the images and, and just with what's happening there. So now um, let's talk about uh, the relationship uh, between Adam and Kay. Um, obviously um, there's a, that it's, it's a love story in a sense. So um, but no matter what, you know, <clears throat> some folks say nowadays that, you know, um, I know there's, there's one group of people that write a checklist of, films where you know where a woman shouldn't need a man and so they, they make all these checklists and whatever and then there's other people that show action films where there is no love interest at all and whatever but you you decided to go uh the route of having a, a love story and and it's probably the most important aspect between uh people you know the re relationships between people uh, besides i guess children to a uh, parent or vice versa um what obviously she meaning Kay uh, changed Adam because we obviously see him at the bar scene where he's awkward, he, he's quiet, he doesn't know what to say, and she's the one that has to drive the conversation. And a lot of times a woman would would probably say, "All right, this guy's a a dud," and move on. But obviously she had some sort of attraction for him, and she prodded it out, and then they really liked each other, and he came out of his shell, and then obviously they had the long term relationship that probably would have lasted forever uh, if circumstances had allowed. Um, could you explain that relationship, the symbolisms, the, the, the things that, because again, that overlays the entire film and, and whatnot. And there was one scene, actually, um, I mentioned this to Olivia, uh, there was a scene where you show uh, a tickets to from I think it was Atlanta to Memphis and a Valentine's <laughs> thing and I actually said oh was this filmed in Georgia and she goes no and I go oh, all right because I just assumed it was um, so if you could explain that too because that's kind of yeah. re related to the relationship in some way man you're finding all the Easter eggs oh, all right. how about that <laughs> that's awesome 
have to add this to the IMDb uh, trivia or Easter egg. Yeah, no, the tickets uh, is a funny little funny story. My girlfriend, um, my girlfriend and partner Fiona Wood, she's also the the production designer and the art director of the film. She, we met on the TV show The Good Wife, uh, working in production in uh, in New York City, and she's worked in the art department for years and years. Um, so she graciously came aboard and did a bunch of art stuff for us. And, uh, yeah, those tickets, she, she made those, it's like, Hey, I, we're, you know, we're shooting the scene and the camera's going to zoom in. And it's like, these are the plane tickets that they never got to go on their honeymoon trip. And I'm like, can you just Photoshop something and make something up? Like, we're not really even going to see it. Like just grab some ticket images and Photoshop their names onto them and print them out. And uh, yeah, so she made tickets that went from like Memphis to Atlanta, right, which right. is like an hour, it's like a half an hour flight <laughs> that like isn't a honeymoon destination. It doesn't even take place to, you know, where, where the film takes place. It's kind of funny. And I, we're standing there, I'm looking at these tickets and we're like, we're shooting this scene. And I'm just like, all right, this is what we're shooting. Like, we're shooting this. Like, it's going on the ball. Like. And, uh, yeah, so that was like an inside joke when we were editing the film, too, like being like, oh, man, what he really sprung for the honeymoon trip. <laughs> take her to Memphis and they're going to eat barbecue or whatever. Right. Um, See Elvis is home. Yeah. So that's a funny little uh, little story. But, yeah, the the relationship. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is. It's kind of, for me, was symbolic of this idea of these, you know, relationships or friendships or things in your life that don't, uh, for whatever reason, kind of don't ever materialize fully or aren't, don't come to be or don't fully blossom. Uh, I mean, I know for me, um, you know, like one little small thing is like, and I used to you kind of do this when you live in New York city, you'll like ride the subway and you'll see someone on a subway car and you'll have this like little fleeting moment where you'll visualize that you're have are dating this person and have been with them for years. And like, this is your life. And it like flashes before your eyes, you know, it's like, this is our relationship. Oh my God, I've known this person forever. And we do this and this, and we have this horrible breakup and like, you know, and, and when you're in North, New York City, you're kind of seeing these people all the time. And sometimes you're doing that with someone uh, as like a romantic thing. But sometimes I'll see a I'll see an adult and I'll think that they look just like a friend of mine. And I'll be like, oh, my God, that's my friend, Joel, in like 40 years. That's him. And like not like that looks like him, but like that is him right there. Like this is where he will be and he will look just like that. And that's his life. And like, what, where do I factor into that? Are we still friends? Like, and so I would do that a lot weirdly. And then, um, yeah, also just had some other relationships that, you know, for, for whatever reason, just kind of never fully, never fully materialized and, and things that I thought could maybe have happened that didn't. Um, and then sometimes in situations like that, you can kind of, find yourself dwelling on them or fixating on them and thinking about the life you could have had with that other person or thinking about, well, should I really be doing this here now? Or should I be doing this thing over here? And is that even attainable anymore? Or is that gone? And why am I still thinking about this? And, 
And, and I know for me, there were certain times where things like that were getting in the way of other relationships I was trying to have. Um, and being stuck in this kind of semi like fantasy hallucination of these other relationships that I could, could be having or, or, or maybe did have in another time and place or dimension or universe or whatever. And, and feeling tied to them and kind of not letting go of those things and not being able to move forward in something else until I do. Um, and so there, there was an element of that there too. And I, I liked that symbolism. Um, I mean, Adam is really stuck, you know, he's stuck in the past. He's stuck in nostalgia. He's stuck thinking about what was and in his current situation, living, being, uh, absorbed with that is going to hinder him from, uh, staying alive and surviving in the current situation. You know, if that's all he's thinking about, it's, it's just going to lead him kind of down a, a bad, a bad place and just kind of lead him deeper and deeper into the recesses of his mind. You know, he's not really confronting, uh, what's in front of him, which is that she's gone and he's got to move forward and, and he's got to figure out the situation that he's in and do, and, you know, kind of, uh, not just maintain a life, but try to have a, a real life and try to have, um, find some joy here or something, you know, find some, some new things that he can, um, hold on to here. And so that was kind of the symbolism there. Um, and I thought that it, it fit well with, with kind of this post-apocalyptic story and the story of, of this guy now alone where everyone's gone and, and yet he's kind of fixated on this relationship that wasn't, uh, wasn't meant, meant to be and wasn't uh, able to blossom. And I just thought that was kind of something that was uh, people could relate to. Yeah. It was interesting what you said there because Citizen Kane, that movie, uh, Herman Mankiewicz and Orson Welles, when they wrote that script, there's a scene in that film where, the Everett Sloan character, Mr. Bernstein, is talking to the Thompson character, uh, the reporter, and he says, uh, when I was a young man, I saw a woman in a white dress at a train station. And I, and, he, and he says basically what you say, which is, you know, he thought about if he had went and spoken to her, how his life would have changed and dreams that never happened and whatnot. And he says that I always think of that woman every day of my life even though I never spoke to her. And, yeah. and so that, that is kind of interesting that, that you, what you said, because you're right. Um, it's the stuff, little things like that, people that hit people certain ways. And, and you, and you uh, obviously went into this film looking at it that way as well, which is kind of interesting. So, but yeah, ch check out that, that scene in Weston Wells film. If yeah. You haven't seen it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a universal that's a universal thing that I think we've all probably done at some point, you know, and I, and I, I, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think I, I have a lot of interest in that sort of stuff in this kind of spiral of different possibilities and outcomes of your life. And, and, um, I think about that sort of stuff a lot, you know, even just in my own personal life and, and, um, and, and, uh, yeah, so there's, there was an element of that and, and, and yeah, I just thought that was something that, you know, a lot of us probably do. And, and, and for Adam, it just, that became something that was, that was everything for him. Yep. Uh, Barrett. 
Well, let's tie that into his best friend. So you have, you know, the campfire scene where he seems kind of like his advisor or his wisdom trying to come out and kind of guide him in the right direction. Um, so where does that fit into that whole narrative? Yeah, I think um, the role that Kyle, his best friend, uh, who's played by Nori Davis, that, that kind of character for me was like this element of um, it's definitely like this other side of him. Like in, you know, at the, in the beginning of the movie, it's, it's his foil, you know, it's kind of his opposite, like the outgoing friend who's going to push him into scenarios that he doesn't necessarily want to be in or, or whatnot. And, and much more kind of brash and outspoken and outgoing and, and kind of this odd couple. And then as the, you know, in that campfire scene, it's a little bit more like, um, Kyle is kind of his conscience or it's like, he's kind of talking to himself. Um, you know, that scene, um, has a lot of kind of different layers to it. And, um, you know, cause at first you're not sure if they're having, if like, is this again, like, is this a flashback to a conversation that they've had when they went on a camping trip a few years ago, or is this happening right now? Or is it both? And, and that's kind of how we wanted to play it. And that kind of how I wrote it was like, this is a conversation that they have had when they were camping or something similar to this, because they're talking about meeting Kay at the bar and leaving with the girl and it should have been you. But Adam's also talking about the situation he's in right now where he's the last person alive. And it's like, this should have been you. How did I get here? I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I feel like I've been here before, but I, and that kind of plays back to the relationship stuff I was talking about. It's like, I feel like I've done this before, but I, I, I don't know. I, I can't place that feeling. Um, and so there, there's a lot of, a lot of layers to that, to that conversation. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit of like talking to someone that's, that's kind of different and the, the opposite of him, but he's also talking to himself. Um, and there's even a layer in that scene of like kind of me as the writer director kind of talking to myself or talking to the audience of being like, I don't really know how I got here. This probably should have been some other guy. Like, uh, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing, but here we are. And like, now that we're here and I'm shooting this movie, I feel like I should know what I'm doing, but I kind of still don't, but I feel like I've been <laughs> here before. So there's kind of these like multiple layers there of, of, of playing with that. Um, and, and yeah, you know, to me, I think Kyle, just yeah kind of represented that little bit of like an angel on his shoulder a little bit of a conscience like a little bit of the stern uh more logical side of him trying to tell him like hey dude snap out of it like who are these traps for you and i are the only one out here like you gotta fucking get your shit together man that's a great scene i mean you guys are perfect together in that scene it's very uh, emotionally it's a high point i really like that part of the movie yeah, yeah thanks um, now, what, I guess um, if we could ask, talk about the the shack. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, some of that is is. I mean, I don't have to be a genius to understand that this is symbolic, where it, by him talking to um, Kay about what to do and whatnot, and then her what she tells him to do, and then him doing what he does with the shack 
um, I'm assuming the that. Well, let me ask you this: what's what's the shack specifically related to their relationship? Is that somewhere that they used to camp, or is that where they escaped to after the apocalypse, or whatever, or is that the location where um, K K uh, left? Or, or something, and, and as a result, by him doing what he does to the shack, that kind of makes him take that next step and actually, quote-unquote, live, even though, you know, live in the apocalypse with no people, but at least be human again. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, there, yeah, there's, all of that is 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 right on. Um, and, uh, yeah, the shack for them is kind of the physical representation of their relationship that's still there. You know, it's something that they built together, which like started as a joke at the bar. Um, you know, uh, he says like, um, I just think you're really capable and you're, you could, you know, I would take you on a desert island because you seem like someone who could build stuff. And she's like, oh, what, I'm like a Jack Handy? And he's like, no, 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 no. But then they end up building this thing together, and which was probably like a joke. You know, it's like he's like, hey, you're Jack Handy. Like, we're going to build this thing, you know. And then they end up kind of building this thing, which which they build this little shack, which is like this little escape for them, like building a little treehouse that they can kind of call their own. And and um, and it, it ends up, yeah, it's this kind of symbolic, the physical symbol of, of their relationship. Um, and, you know, it's it's got a lock on the door and he doesn't want to go anywhere near it. Um you know, kind of because of that. And then, yeah, it definitely does like play into the, the kind of nightmare and the night that she got ripped away. And, and, um, uh, you know, we never totally specified the geography there, but the idea is that, yeah, like those, those areas are all kind of right next to each other. And I think at the near the very end of the movie, there's like a quick montage again, that kind of shows her being pulled away. And then he goes into the shack and then in present day, he enters the shack and kind of like puts his hand there where he was just kind of kneeling down in the previous before. So we tried to kind of lay those breadcrumbs visually that like, yeah, this is a place that like they had built together. And then when it all went down that night, it was like a place that he escaped to um, that was kind of close to where, where, you know, when she uh, got pulled away and, um, and yeah, that this is kind of like, he has to kind of face this thing and he has to kind of deal with it. Um, and, 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 uh, yeah, sometimes you got to burn, burn, burn it down. You know, burn it down to move on. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just to add one thing to that, um, was the, the apocalypse? Um, since we we don't know what pulls people away or or how it happened, um, because like you said, you didn't have that news reporting and all that nonsense. Um, what, was it your intention to have this movie more? even though you can throw it into the science fiction because it's a dystopian film, was it intentional to make it kind of possibly supernatural as well um, to, to, I guess, mix the, the genres together or just make it more in the interpretation of the audience? Yeah, I think um, definitely like the idea of mixing these genres um, was, was big for us. I mean, it is so much of it is like, 
a um, what's it called? Uh, you know, like a episode of the outer limits or uh, twilight zone or something. And a lot of this stuff, yeah, it lives as like there, the explanation is, is unknown and definitely the possibility of like a supernatural explanation as well, for, for sure. And, and um, yeah, I mean, again, that just kind of harkens to, we didn't want to put, we didn't want to give all those things, um, full-fledged answers and put a face to all these things because for me then then a lot of it it loses the metaphor um you know and 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 again a lot of when people talk about the movie and and are writing about it you know they're saying things like oh you know she was pulled away into the darkness and that is like the representation of what happened in his mind you know of their relationship and it's like okay well if i had if i had shown a a crab claw coming in and pulling her away (laughs) would have you made that metaphorical association or would have you just said oh a crab claw pulled her away you know instead if i don't show you what it is you're now able to kind of connect to it in a more metaphorical way and see how adam connects to it in this symbolic way as well um but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of magical realism happening in the movie. I mean, even in that shack scene, it's like he walks out of the shack and it kind of spontaneously erupts in flames. <laughs> you know, like there's no I he there I you don't ever see him like lighting the shack on fire. Like he walks away from it and it all of a sudden bursts into flames. So there's an element there of of that and and still kind of continuing to play with like what's real, what's not real, what are we seeing, what are we not seeing, like, what are, what are the in-between moments that we're just not seeing where maybe Adam does do something, um, and, like, there's a moment, you know, one thing is just to point out, like, a specific moment that kind of correlates to that is, like, when he goes to the grocery store the first time, and he gets all this stuff, and he goes to the checkout line, uh, he stands there, and he puts his stuff on the conveyor belt, and then he kind of stands there and looks at the checkout person who isn't there and then there's a reverse shot of like a hand scanning the items but we don't ever see that person and so it's like okay well did someone just check him out or did he just do that himself and it's like i'm i'm not showing you the two seconds where he walks behind the counter the other way and scans himself and i don't show you the wide of him scanning i just show you the close-up of a hand scanning um and so it's that kind of idea it's like what am i not showing you that is actually happening here maybe and hopefully like through the course of the film you kind of get wise to that a little bit even if it's kind of subconscious of just being like hey this is like this guy's going crazy and he's kind of not a trustworthy narrator so like what i'm seeing is his perspective and like his journey and that doesn't make everything true and but this is kind of happening for him yeah, that's 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 cool. That was a scene that I I spoke to Barrett about offline uh, way a, a week or two ago when we first saw the film, and then I mentioned I think I mentioned it to Olivia as well. So that, yeah. But, yeah, that just made me think of something else. Am I right? Does your hair go from really light to dark by the end of the movie? Oh, I maybe now is that I mean, on purpose or? <laughs> um, probably not on purpose. I mean, we definitely. Um, 
my hair definitely grew. I mean, there's there's a few scenes uh, that I can when I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, that that one shot was like a reshoot that we shot six months later, and like I have a totally different haircut, and like hopefully no one notices. Um, and the dark, I think my hair is darker at the end because it's got like a bunch of gel in it um, from like slicking his hair back before going to the bowling alley um, yeah. and kind of getting dressed up and and um, and it's tough. I mean, a lot of those continuity things are are tough and it's it's hard because you want to be purposeful with changes like that. And you want to say like, OK, if people are picking up on these things, they should be purposeful and they should have a reason and they should denote something like a transformation or something. And it shouldn't just be because you forgot what you looked like in the last scene. Um, but it's also tough when you're like a run and gun indie movie and sometimes things just kind of slip through the cracks, you know, like there is one scene and we had a great, you know, on, on a set like ours, our script supervisor is really in charge of that level of continuity. And so she's taking like pictures of everything before and after every single scene at the beginning and end of every scene. And she's got this big binder of the script where she's making all sorts of notes. And we had this incredible script supervisor um, named Lauren Keenan, um, who was new, new to the, to the role, but she just crushed it. And she was like totally on top of all that sort of stuff. But there was one scene where we, uh, I won't say where it is. It's near the beginning of the movie in like the first third of the film. And there's a, there's a moment where we, there's like maybe a little bit of a jacket mix up on which jacket he's wearing from one scene to the next. And sometimes those things just unfortunately happen. You know, it's like you're trying to keep track of a million different things. And I'm not only the director, the actor, but I'm also my own wardrobe guy. And uh, I grabbed <laughs> the wrong jacket. So like, here we are. Well, it just seemed like your hair was really light, and then it was dark, and I, I chose to read something into that. Yeah. I think it's right, you're right, uh, uh, Alex, that it's because it's gelled back. Yeah. And some of that, too, is, like, the color, you know, like, color correction of, like, you know, a lot of the film, we spent a lot of time in the edit uh, after we had picture-locked the film, color correcting it and making these kind of color choices and making different choices as the movie progresses. So things either look different than they did the last time you were there or, or the last time he was there. And, and I know that that last scene with the shack, um, with what happens to the shack, we definitely like, we're very purposeful with making very distinct color correction choices there to, to have that scene, like look a certain way. And, um, so, you know, that can affect like the way skin tone and hair tone and all that sort of stuff looks. Yeah, right. Well, um, we, we've kept you uh, for a good hour. Uh, yeah, we, we, could, we could probably keep you longer because we, we have a you know a lot, a lot of the whole film's a lot of symbolism and all that. Now, let's uh, uh, I have you uh, let folks know where they can find this film. Uh, go, don't go, and um, maybe where they could find you on on the internet. Um, obviously, if this was not the pandemic you probably be maybe even doing conventions or, or something yeah. like that maybe you're doing virtual conventions uh where can people find you on social media virtual conventions as well as where can they can find this film uh yeah the film is uh out and available it can be found on itunes amazon prime um voodoo vimeo youtube 
Google Play, the PlayStation Store, Microsoft Store, um, and also available on cable on demand, uh, which is like Comcast, Verizon, Frontier. Um, and so they can search any of those places. You can always just Google search, go, don't go film, and a bunch of things will come up. And the film's website, which also has all of these places listed, is um, go, don't go, dot film. And uh, people can find me on uh, social media. They can search me on Facebook, uh, Alex Knapp. On Instagram, I'm also at Alex Knapp. And Twitter, I am Alex underscore Knapp underscore. Um, but Instagram is probably, that's kind of where I am more than other places. So yeah, that's just at Alex Knapp on Instagram. Now, uh, is this film gonna be uh, released on, on disc anywhere where you would do like a, a director's commentary or anything cool like that? Oh, that would be cool. I know that it is available for DVD and Blu-ray on Amazon. Um, and I think a lot of that is like, like they only print like, you know, 50 at a time or something. Um, and then as orders come in, they'll, they'll print more. Um, you know, we had a little bit of BTS material and I was definitely like game to, shoot some like interview style stuff and do some commentary stuff, but we did never end up going that route. Usually that sort of stuff is requested like, and kind of spearheaded by a distributor if they, if they want that. Um, and with us, it just kind of, it didn't really, didn't really happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll do, I'll sit down with Frankie, my DP or something, and we'll do our own commentary for like a year anniversary and we'll send that out or something. Um, but yeah, no, this has been great. You guys have had a bunch of really good questions and I appreciate, um, how deeply you thought about the film and, um, yeah, so this is, this has been awesome. Thanks for joining us. This has been great. Yeah. Appreciate it. Cool. And I, Barrett, I love your shirt. Real men love cats. Yeah. <laughs> I have Thank three you. cats. I have three cats of my own and I'm a proud cat dad. You're even more awesome now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, is there any other... Uh, items you want to let p people know that you're, you're you're working on that they should look out for maybe promote your company that you, you have I don't know yeah um, yeah I have a production company with my producing partner Max Gardner um, and our company is called A and M Creative we're just A M Creative um, A for Alex M for Max um, we're based out of New York State he's in Brooklyn and I'm in upstate New York and kind of together we. We're in a bunch of different markets and we travel all over the country shooting commercials and music videos and other people's projects and stuff like that. Um, that website is uh, www.amcreative.nyc. Um, and yeah, I'm producing and did some DP work on a documentary that's currently in post-production um, with the working title Modern Day Guru, which is actually about a... Um, Kind of like an early 90s uh, hardcore punk rock legend becoming a Hare Krishna yogi guru. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> which is super interesting. And I actually went to India for three weeks and shot in India about a year and a half ago, which was just a wild experience. And uh, we've interviewed a bunch of big people. We've interviewed Moby and the, uh, a bunch of other musicians and, and people that were kind of in and around the New York hardcore punk scene. And then also like all these spiritual gurus and people that are in Hare Krishna and kind of where does that intersect and 
why is there such a strong connection there, which there is, which is kind of interesting and strange. Um, and then, yeah, I have another project that I'm hoping to get off the ground here soon. Um, something I'm working on and in development in called California City, um, which is about uh, a person unburying themselves from the desert and on the outskirts of a kind of dusty ghost town and they're covered in strange markings and they don't know who they are and uh, kind of how the search for their identity and their history is intertwined with kind of the possible cosmic secrets and history of this ghost town. Hmm. Oh, nice. Um, that sounds so interesting. Yeah. So hopefully, um, hopefully, you know, at this point, hopefully someone watches Go Don't Go and they are into it and they want to help me make another one. And uh, so so that's kind of what we're working on right now. Nice. nice. Now, if, if you have any uh, press releases or anything you want to promote, uh, just let us know and we'll, we'll get you right back on uh, cool. uh, or, or, or put it up on our website. So, uh, yeah, appreciate uh, your time and uh, uh, keep safe. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank okay. you. Have, have a good bye. night. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, he, we actually kept them longer than we thought. Yeah, I think we had a lot to ask. We, we had things that we were curious about, and uh, I think we found some surprising Easter eggs that he wasn't expecting us to ask him about. Yeah, it was it was fun talk. Yeah, it was. It, it was actually uh, interesting too. Is that both uh, Olivia and Alex uh, were originally supposed to be on uh, the interview together, but uh, they, there was a miscommunication, so that's the reason why we had them split up. But actually, it turned out pretty good because we got two different perspectives on on the film as well you know so yeah very very different perspectives and you know it it just was a lot of fun to hear both of their answers and kind of separately so now we can compare them to see you know what they said You're right exactly and uh oddly uh both of them uh we, we could have probably kept them even longer but oh yeah yeah, but eventually they were gonna probably would have cut us off if we didn't say, "All right, let's wrap it up." You know, but what we did is we we asked, you know, prior to getting them on, uh, how long we could talk to them and stuff. So, um, and the funny thing is, is once you start doing the interview and everybody's, they find out that we're not just some putzes, you know, that we're, we're actually legitimate questions and whatnot. They they want to stay, and, and so we were able to ask even more questions than we thought. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it was very insightful to hear um, his process and. Yeah. You know where he was coming from with the film. Uh, it was it was really good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, that pretty much wraps up our two part episodes, or, or you know A and B if you prefer, um, of Go Don't Go, a 2021 film, I guess, because like I, I mean, I I mean I think it's 2021 because that's when it went wide everywhere. But yeah, I may, I may be wrong. I don't know. I mean. You know, because we're, you know, there's a chance that, you know, we're, we're already beginning 2021 best of year list, right? I mean. Yeah, it's listed actually as 2020 on IMDb, but um, I would say since it went wide, you know, now, that to me, that's, it's 2021 film, but. Yeah, no, that that is true. But basically what happens is uh, films are made earlier, you know, like Olivia said, she started working on the film in like 2018, I think. And then it does the festival circuits. And that's the day that it's considered the quote-unquote release date, the 2020. But then it's when it's really released is when it is available to everybody. 
uh, because obviously, you know, festivals only certain folks can go. You know, uh, uh, newspaper reporters, um, things like that, magazines like Hollywood Reporter and stuff. Um, but of course, they and it's, they're more like sneak peeks and stuff. And right. uh, and so yeah, this film here. Um, I'm trying to figure out the exact day uh, that it was released. But yeah, see, see, Amazon listed as a 2021 film. So well, there we'll, you go. We'll, yeah, there you go. So we'll consider <laughs> it as, as a 2021 January Q1 film. Um, so that pretty much, like I said, was wraps up the the, the uh, two episodes. So I guess we can. Uh, um, well, we gave our final thoughts on the film last week, and obviously uh, we liked it. So I guess we can just wrap it up here. So uh, Barrett, why don't you lead us out? Thanks for joining us on Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Um, we have several things in the hopper that are coming up that you can listen to in the future. Um, one of them might be Spellbinder, um, and there's some other things that we're thinking about. So check us out. Adam. Adam. They were there, they were there, and then they were gone. it up. I saw it. You saw it. Would you believe me if I told you I didn't know how I got here? I know you. You got some tricks up your sleeve. Killing you.